today on Ag News Daily. Done. It's not economically feasible for them to bring a lot of grain in. Now, you can, you can look, guys, that we did bring some corn in. We will bring corn into the southeast. Well, listeners, welcome back to last Monday of June 2023 here to get a market update after some nice headlines. Did you have a good weekend, Delaney? I did. It was a hot one, though, Tanner. It did. It started off hot, but then when we got up Sunday morning, I threw on a long sleeve t-shirt, just uh, 68 degrees or whatever. Felt pretty good there for the first half of the day. It did. You're right. But I'm sure you want to talk weather headlines, so let's hit them. Oh, we can do some of that. We've got some more weak thunderstorm chances expected for parts of the Corn Belt today. Storms will remain possible through the end of the week. Uh, we will see later on as the main threats hit Tuesday through Thursday for risks of severe weather. Large hail, strong winds might be uh, involved in those storm systems. In the southern plains, storms are expected overnight tonight in Oklahoma and Texas bringing strong straight-lined winds to the area. Starting tomorrow, we'll regain our dangerously hot temperatures that we all battled, but the largest focus is going to be for parts of Texas, again in that area where these storms will move through. The hotter it gets, the more chances there are for more severe weather. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. But unfortunately, Based upon Twitter results, it doesn't look like the large storms that were predicted for this past weekend yielded a significant and consistent rainfall. Some areas seeing a little over an inch, others seeing just a couple of tenths. Ultimately, those who did get rain were very thankful no matter where it was, Delaney. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of variety as far as who got rain and where. Uh, Successful Farming had a few different articles out this morning, Tanner, of areas in Iowa that are really, really dry and some that are really, really wet. I mean, I've seen now conditions of both as you look across central Iowa. We were heading into Des Moines the other day, and there are places where fields have been flooded out in some fields. And then on the flip side, we've seen some fields that are even just across the street that look very, very dry, Tanner. It look like pineapple plants, and they're not supposed to look like that. <laughs> I know. There's a couple of fields in town, Ames, here that obviously usually look rough because they're development ground that is just waiting to be developed, but they always seem to burn up quickly. It'll be interesting because at the end of this week, we're going to get acreage and grain stocks data. We've got two reports coming this week. The USDA's reports have a history of producing major market moves that could set the rest of the pricing trends for the summer. So we'll see if there's any bearish surprises that come about this, but maybe we'll get uh, some good market movements headed into the 4th of July. So I'm excited to dive deeper into that market conversation here in a little bit. I'm sure we certainly will, Tanner. but. Wanted to give our listeners a quick update here on a carbon dioxide pipeline project here in the state of Iowa as Summit Carbon Solutions has sought to create a second pipeline permit for a project extension. As opposed to trying to go through and expand their current permit, the company is now seeking a second permit that would expand their original scope of work and original project. This 
the reason they went this route, it sounds like Tanner, is because modifying the existing permit would likely lead to delays in the permitting process. So as opposed to that, they went to the Iowa Utilities Board to set informational meetings for an expansion in Floyd and Mitchell counties in northern Iowa. A 31-mile length of pipe would connect the Absolute Energy Ethanol Plant near St. Ansker to Summit's proposed pipeline network that is spanning currently more than 2,000 miles in five different states. So we'll see how this is met, but it sounds like they are asking for new informational hearings to happen August 8th or 9th, Tanner. So I'm sure some of our listeners may want to be present at that meeting. Yeah, that's an interesting way to uh, go about a project expansion. Cash-fed cattle traded lower in moderate volumes last week. That's the second consecutive week that we have seen those results. Uh, The North region mainly sold in that $182 to $183 per hundred weight live margin. That was $2 to $3 lower than the week before. The South was uh, about what was 180 to 182, again, $2 lower in that region, but ultimately starting to see a little bit of a slide as far as beef prices go. Feeder cattle held steady to lower $6, dependent upon the region. Wholesale beef prices also traded lower. Choice box beef closed last Friday at 334.01 per hundredweight. That was down $9.08 from the week before. Select box beef closed at 299.96. That was down $10.99 from the week before. Trying to track down what is causing these contracts to dip. The cattle on feed and feedlots with capacity of 1,000 head or more, total 11.6 million head as of June 1, 2023. That was 3% lower than the same period the year before. Placements during May totaled 1.96 million head, which was 5% higher than the year before. Marketings for May totaled 1.95 million head or 2% higher as well. So we've got mixed numbers in our reports, Delaney. But ultimately, as we look at the cost to feed, we did see costs drop three percent so good to see even though markets slowed a little bit we got to see the cost of feeding these animals also drop traders are expected to continue to watch the placement and marketing numbers the key placement figure rising to four and a half percent over a year ago could indicate that uh, we could see packers starting to slow processing rates and likely that would cause a little bit more of a slide in the market. So another one of those conversations that'll be fun to dive into a little bit more here in a little bit. Well, Tanner, speaking of rising costs, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is now suggesting that they're going to have to spend $502 million to ensure their rapid response to any future outbreaks of avian influenza as the country's worst ever outbreak is nearing even higher levels, according to the agency on Friday. So far, bird flu has killed about 58.7 million chickens, turkeys, and other birds across 47 states since January of 2022, which is a record-breaking number, according to June 7th data from the U.S. Center for Disease and Control. The USDA said that they're going to have to figure out how to allocate more dollars to preventing this in the future, as the agency has already spent 
$793 million on their response to this outbreak in particular. But Tanner, my question is, why is it not getting more publicity in the news if this is a record-breaking outbreak that we've had? Yeah, considering you started to talk about it and I had no idea as well. And I know we check a lot of the same news sources. So that's a very great question. Uh, I think it'll have to be one that hopefully we can dive into a little bit deeper this week, see if we can find some more headlines to provide some depth to that. While we look at now jumping overseas, give us a little bit of an update. U.S. and European allies are closely monitoring the clash and truce between Russia's army and the Wagner private mercenary group. That was led by uh, former ally of Russian President Vladimir Putin. The Wagner group seized the southern Russian city of Rostov and began advancing towards Moscow, prompted Putin to react against them. A truce was eventually brokered by Belarus president and stated that they would stop their march to Moscow and return back to their camps to avoid bloodshed. So tensions now are rising in Russia following this paramilitary group led to seize that one city and looking to begin addressing the aftermath of that event, which could cause for some power struggles within their own borders, Delaney. It demonstrates here how there is internal discord with the Russian establishment and, of course, what the military has been doing in the ongoing war with Ukraine. But is this truce that was brokered permanent between Putin and the rebels? So we'll continue to keep an eye on that portion. Of course, the U.S. intelligence officials were accused of assisting this revolt. They have known since mid-June that there was a plot, an armed uprising that was going to be happening, and the White House was informed. However, they were not caught off guard, and they did not interfere. So now President Putin is stating that there may be deeper investigations of the U.S. aiding this group, and we'll see where that leads. We continue to get some extra updates. The U.S. emphasized this morning that its country and the allies did not have any influence and just purely intelligence that the revolt was going to happen. And Kiev is claiming tactical successes over this last weekend, including slight advances in the east in liberating a settlement on the southeastern side of the line. So it'll be interesting to see here, Delaney, where news heads. And I wonder if any of this has to do with what wheat prices did today. A very good question, Tanner. I had not even thought about that or seen this headline until we went to we get some news for today. So we'll be sure to get Jim McCormick's take on it here coming up in just a moment. But one final story I have here, Tanner, as we head into the markets is Mexico has announced a new tariff on U.S. white corn. This tariff announced by the Mexican government on Saturday will be a 50% tariff on all white corn imports, which is a move that's estimated to impact about 1% of U.S. corn production, but 20% of the U.S. corn exports that head specifically to Mexico. So I'm sure we'll see a lot more headlines for this story in the news coming up here as we've continued to watch some ongoing negotiations as Mexico has tried to limit U.S. corn imports here, Tanner. Yeah, I had seen that headline as well, and uh, I can only imagine that there will be more to come. But it'll be interesting to see if we're going to continue to trade weather or if we have other factors play into this. But that's all I've got for news today. So where are markets going to close here Monday? 
Well, Tanner, as we look at today's commodity market prices, we certainly saw some strength even after some spotty rainfall hit some key areas over the weekend. July corn added six and a half cents today at 637 and a quarter. New crop corn added just a quarter of a cent to close at 587 and a quarter. In the soybean pits today, the July contract added 26 and a half cents to close at 1521. November new crop beans added 13 today to close at 1323. July hard red winter wheat today up seven and a half cents at 866 and a half. And as we look at the livestock pits today, we saw some weakness in the cattle complex. August live cattle shed 17 and a half cents at a buck 7060. August feeder cattle shed 27 and a half cents to close at 233.67. And August lean hogs added 37 and a half cents today, settling the day out at 90.05. Tanner will kick it over now to our Market Monday conversation with Jim McCormick. Well, folks, we are chatting with Jim McCormick today of agmarket.net. And Jim, very excited to chat with you today because there's a lot of topics to tackle. No doubt about it. Delaney, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And yes, there is a lot to talk about. A lot of volatility in the markets, you could say, as we wrap up the last full week of trading of the month and the quarter, just to add a little bit of volatility to the game. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, of course, a big report coming out later this week, which I'm sure we'll touch on here in a bit. But today's markets in particular, I was a little surprised because after last week's uh, pullback that we saw in the grains, I figured we would follow suit with that here heading into today's session because we did see some rain across parts of the Midwest. But we got a nice pop today, especially in the soybean markets. Jim, what was leading the charge? Well, right now, there's two things that are kind of deviating right now, Um, old crop and new crop. Old crop corn is up six and a half. New crop ended up unchanged. Same thing on the beans. July beans are up 26 and a half. November beans are up 13. And that is just more of a situation as we're getting to this old crop delivery. First notice day is on Friday. Um, you know, trying to get that last bit of cash grain out of the farmer's hands, that bean supply, you know, that ending stock number, Delaney, is still very quite tight, actually. And it just, you're seeing a little bit of a last minute short covering by, uh, you know, the shorts before leading this up. New crop, it, you know, it's all weather models and who got the rain, who didn't get the rain. Where I'm at, Northern Illinois, we probably got one of those million dollar, probably nowadays called a billion dollar rainfall for Northern Illinois. We got a lot of places got an inch plus our crops are right on the ropes, and it kind of brought them back a little bit, but not everybody got it. Central Illinois, Southern Illinois, parts of Missouri were hot and dry. So this market's still debating the size of the upcoming crop. Yeah, and that's probably going to be a battle that we'll see debated throughout the rest of the growing year. What are we seeing affect the corn markets from something outside of the U.S. borders? Well, right now, I think the biggest problem you've got outside of the borders I would say there's two things that are headlining it. The first one is just, you know, talk about the headlines all over the news. What's going on in Russia right now? Obviously, there's a, no one's really certain what happened, but just a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, right now, everything looks a little bit stabilized at the moment, but I think that could fall apart at the, yeah, any moment, actually. And the fear is if Russia really went into some kind of a military crisis or a political crisis, demand um, that, you know, that they feel, you know, feed. They are one of the biggest wheat exporters in the world. They are selling wheat to the rest of the world dirt cheap compared to the rest of the world. The question would be, would we start getting some 
even though we're overpriced because essentially some of those world buyers in Africa and other nations essentially say, hey, I'd rather buy it and pay a premium to make sure I get it than buy that product from a country that it could go into a civil war potentially. That's something we need to keep an eye on. The other thing, point-wise, is prices. The fact of the matter is we are still just not competitively priced on anything, obviously in the wheat, but also in the corn and the beans. And corn specifically, if you are China and you are buying corn right now for delivery, you're actually going to be able to get corn out of Brazil roughly $38 to $40 a ton cheaper than the U.S. is willing to sell you that grain. And that is going to be the biggest problem. I see for this corn market down the line, and that may be the key Achilles heel to this rally of a supply, because supply-driven rallies tend to be hard, they tend to be fast, and then once you ration that supply out, you take that emotion out, the market starts to fall back, and I think that could be the big problem. I do think we're losing production, but I, I fear at this point, unless we really, really turn dry like 2012, we're losing production that essentially we didn't really need because the demand's just not there for the product. Yeah, and those are a little bit of competing forces with, you know, the product potentially not being there due to hot and dry weather, but then the demand side also not being there as well. When do we really start to see that play out, Jim, or have we already started to see that play out of demand indicating to the markets that, hey, this thing, even if we don't have the crop, just doesn't have that much more upside potential? I don't think we're there yet, Delaney. I think it, you might start seeing it possibly on the early grain stock report at the end of the week, but more likely it'll probably be the July WASDE number where we'll see what happens where the market could finally get kind of a shot across the bow. I will look for them to lower the crop, but then what is it? What the trade will be looking at? What I'm going to looking at is do they lower demand to offset it? And what I'm talking about right now, if you look at year-on-year demand increase. The government essentially says total demand last year, 13,680,000,000. Total demand this year, the current estimate, 14,485,000,000 bushels. So essentially, they raise that demand 805,000,000 bushels year on year. A big chunk of that, 375,000,000 of it, is exports. And like I was just pointing out, we are not price competitive exports for old crop. So I think it'd be very easy for the government to lop off a lot of that anticipated new crop upper revision on exports because of the competition. The other side is feed and residual. You look at the side, you know, they've raised that 375 million. That may be overstated. What happens is if you essentially start lowering the crop by about essentially 10 bushels an acre or roughly 840 million bushels, you could cut demand by 400 million and your carryout is still going to be about 1.8 billion bushels. If you left, think about this, Delaney, if you left exports unchanged on year, left feeding residual, so you just said, look, we have a smaller crop, we're going to leave demand literally unchanged year on year. That's roughly lopping 840 million bushels, 800 million bushels off the crop, you could lose, what, nine bushels off this national yield, and your carryout would still be closer to 2.1 billion bushels. That is what we need to be cognizant of. Now, you drop that yield below 10 bushels, it gets a little bit more interesting. But if you keep it only a five, six, seven bushel drop, unfortunately, I think that demand is overstated enough that you're not going to essentially change it dramatically, and eventually that will lead to lower prices by the fall. So we had reported here prior to our conversation a little bit about when you talked exports, what our friends to the south have now announced for tariffs on white corn. What's that relationship going to have for implications going down the future here? Well, I, I think it's a situation that they're trying to essentially encourage more pricing of the white corn 
in, um, but the reality is this, they don't produce enough. They're going to have to import U.S. corn when it's all said and done. It's not economically feasible for them to bring a lot of grain in. Now, you can, you can look, guys, that we did bring some corn in. We will bring corn into the southeast, but we're set up to do it. The fact of the matter is Mexico is just not designed over the last you know, 50 years. They've built their infrastructure to rail our corn into their country to feed their livestock. They're not set up to bring boats in, offload the boats, offload the boats and get it in there. So I think you're going to see tariffs and all that, but the reality is the grain still probably going to make its way in. Remember, we're still in a trade war with China. China has tariffed a lot, all our products, and it's been that way for, what, four or five years now, and they're still importing the product when they need it. So I think the tariffs... It's something a lot of people talk about, but the reality is if the importers need the grain, they need livestock to feed, they'll pay the premium and just bring it into the country. Jim, as we look at later this week, you mentioned the quarterly grain stocks and acreage report. What are you guys expecting to see as far as the acreage mix goes? Do you think USDA will adjust anything on this month's report? We're looking for a very slight adjustment. I think the corn acres are going to be down just a little bit. Uh, we're in line with the, with the you know the average trade guess is 91.9 down from 92. The bean number, the average trade guess is at 87.7 up from 87.5. We think it may be a little bit higher. Maybe the customers up in North Dakota. We did hear some of those clients late in the spring planting were moving away from corn and wheat, and they were actually planting a little bit more beans. But in general, I think this acreage number is not going to be a shocker. I think, you know, what the survey showed in March is, I think, very close to what we've got. As it turns out, who would have thought, you know, going into spring, it would have thought we had a lot of prevent plant in the north. We just haven't. The weather kind of cooperated in general. I think we got it in. The wild card always on this report, that grain stock report, it is always kind of a guess what the government's going to come out as. We've had limit moves. On this report, they tend to be driven by the grain stock. So uh, that's something we need to keep an eye on on Friday, as well as the headline, which tends to be the acreage portion of the report. So before we jump into the meats to close out this conversation, what else are some key things we're missing on the grain side of things? Well, right now, I, I think what you got to look at if you're a producer out there, you've got to, you know, keep an eye on the big picture, not just out of your out of your back door per se. Um, like I said, I'm very worried about demand. I think a worst case scenario, if you're a producer, unfortunately, who's not getting the rain, you don't feel like the bushels are there. But the fact of the matter is someone's going to probably get the short end of the stick right now. It looks like it could be central Illinois, but who knows? You got to be cognizant that the prices still could come down to, you know, due to the fact that we've got a lot of competition in the world and the prices goal is either to go high enough to ration demand or fall enough fall low enough to stimulate supply. So, you know, producers out there, we were going to encourage them to continue to marketing. There's a lot of risk option, you know, risk ways you can control risk, excuse me, using options, short dated options. So uh, right now I know when it gets volatile, it's easy to back away from the markets. This is actually when you need to lean forward because the risk is still there. Gina, Jim, as we uh, switch our attention here to chatting livestock, we had the cattle on feed report on Friday, and that seemed to push markets a little bit lower here today. Do we adjust and move forward, or do you think we'll continue to uh, to trade this news? Well, I think you know we'll trade the news briefly, then I think we're going to kind of move back on to overall consumer sentiment and demand right now. I think 
if you look at that placement, that number in the long run, I think that's a little bit negative. It shows this tight supply situation that we're currently in, as the on-feed number showed, essentially is going to wane and the market's going to essentially solve its tight supply situation and that'll drop prices down. The other thing, plain and simple, guys, is the economy is still very tough for a big segment of the United States. States population, or even the world population. Protein-wise, cattle is one of the most expensive proteins out there. Pork had been one of the cheaper ones. It has come back a little bit, but it's still relatively cheap. So I think you will see the consumer shift away from beef protein and maybe move to the pork, and that could have a little bit negative impact on the cattle as we move further into the summer, into the latter, into the latter part of summer. As they say, dog days of summer, we tend not to be a big buying time for beef. Yeah. And is that kind of the same sentiment that we've got on the pork side of things? We've been seeing a couple of days end upwards over uh, the last few trading days. What's the story there? Well, right now, I think it's a situation where what you, A, you're seeing uh, the premium shift. Like I said, we are seeing starting to hear retailers talk about less demand for beef, better demand for pork. It is a cheaper protein. So that's part of it. Part of what you're seeing is this new Prop 12 situation going on in California. It is throwing up a lot of upheaval in the market. But there's some new um, clarifications coming out. There's some numbers that are being grandfathered in. If you get a certain amount of pork on the on the way here or purchased before a certain date, and I apologize, I don't remember the, the exact date, you you could get that pork in before this new Prop 12 proposition kicks in. That has stimulated a little bit of buying, I believe, from the California buyers as they're trying to essentially get as much coverage bought uh, while this grandfather clause kicks in. Jim, before we let you go, quick reminder on how folks can connect with you if they want to chat about markets more in depth. Um, the best way to do it is go to agmarket.net, uh, subscribe to our free trial of our research. Otherwise, you can reach any of the ag market brokers at 844-424-6758. Or if you like, you can reach me directly at 815-665-0461. Great. Well, Jim, thank you so much for chatting markets today. I always appreciate your insight. Well, thank you very much. I always appreciate when you guys having me on. Always great, Delaney, to have these Market Monday conversations and got some key answers today. So that was good of Jim to provide us with that. Are you excited for another week of podcasts, Delaney? I, of course, am, Tanner. We've got some great conversations lined up for our listeners this week. Absolutely. So listeners, hang around. But for today, what do you say? Should we let them go? Let's let them go. 